planning to hit you tonight, I promise. So, but we are going to open the Word of God, and it is good to be here. This is my first time at the Suffolk campus. We hear good things going on over here all the time, but we've always got things going on too, so it's hard to make our way. And we recently moved to Williamsburg, so it was a long way here tonight in the rain, but I was glad to come and excited about um, sharing the word together. You know, one of the pathways that we hold very high at City Life Church is gathering, right? It's just good to gather together. And I believe a lot of good things happen when we gather together. Just like tonight, we've already worshiped together. Uh, many of us, the Lord just ministered to our spirits during that time. I know he did me, especially while we were singing about God being our father. But one of the other really good things I think that happens when we come together is we gather as brothers and sisters around the word of God, and he speaks to us. And so the word that we're going to actually look at tonight, God has been doing such uh, deep work in my heart and a very practical, experiential work through this word over the last several months. And I don't want to spend any time telling any stories or anything getting into it. I just want us to open the word of God because I think it's going to be a really good, uh, rich time in God's word. So we're going to jump right into Psalm 27, which is one of my favorite uh, chapters of scripture. If you have a Bible, you might want to open up there. Um, I'll be uh, reading out of the New American Standard Bible, and we'll put that up on the screen. Uh, but whatever you have is, is great. But like I said, this chapter for me is one of my very favorite passages of Scripture. In fact, about uh, three or four years ago, I did a series of messages um, in a program that we were doing, and I called it my top ten. And the reason for that was these were like my top ten favorite chapters in the Bible, and Psalm 27 was one of those chapters. And so I studied Psalm 27. I memorized Psalm 27. I meditated on Psalm 27. And I thought I knew that thing through and through. And I taught for probably over an hour in that message about Psalm 27. And yet, don't you know that the Lord has layer upon layer and layer of treasure in his word. And he can take us back to something that we think we already know so well and show us something brand new for the season that we're in. And that's exactly what's happened from this chapter. And I say that to encourage you to, as we gather together around the word of God, one of our other pathways is the word of God, right? So we do this together, but hopefully you're in the word of God on your own every single day. Because even if God's talking to you about maybe a Bible story that you've known since you were this big, he can break it open to you in a new way that speaks so deep to your heart. That's because it's the living, active word of God, right? And God does things with this book that isn't really a book anyway. It's different than anything you will find on the face of this planet, and it's just so good for us. So let's go ahead and start reading. I'm going to start with the first three verses here. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. You know, these uh, words were written by David, as many of the Psalms are. And if you've studied his life at all, you know that David tends to be all over the map, right? I mean, one day he's high, one day he's low. But right here in these verses, we find him in a really good place. I don't know if you heard just the overarching sense of confidence and light and, and victory that he's speaking with as he wrote these things. I mean, in verse 1, he calls the Lord his light and, and his salvation and the defense of, of his life. He's basically saying, 
I don't have any reason to be afraid when the reality was he had a lot of reason to be afraid, but he's like, I don't have any reason to be afraid. In verse 2, we just hear victory. He's talking about these people that came against him, and they were ready to take him out. And, and he said, basically, they stumbled over their own two feet and fell, and he's just excited because there's been victory. And then in verse 3, there's just this sense of confidence like he's declaring it because if you read that what he's doing is he's looking out at what could happen and it would be really bad if this happened like a host encamping against him or war breaking out and he's like uh, in spite of that I'm, I'm all right that, that's not going to bother me I'm not afraid now I don't know about you but I would like to wake up like that in the morning right just fearless like I know God's with me, doesn't matter what's coming today, doesn't matter what happened yesterday, but this is going to be a good day, and not just like positivity stuff that people in the world are talking about, but no, this is grounded, like God has me, and I, I know that, and I'm confident in that. Well, you know what, as we gather around God's word tonight, I believe he's going to show us the one thing that David did that brought him to that place in this chapter, and I believe he's going to show us how to do that one thing too. So let's pray. God, I pray, Lord, that your word would speak with life and power into every heart in this room tonight, including mine, God. I know that the conversations with you around your word continue and ripple throughout eternity, God. And so I just pray that what we hear tonight, Lord, would speak to us five years from now, ten years from now, that we'd share it with other people. But, Lord, it would have a marked influence on our lives tonight, too. God, thank you for a place to gather, for the freedom to gather, to open up your word. Lord, may we not take it for granted, but may we benefit and feast on it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So read with me. Keep going. Let's start in verse 4. And it starts off like this. David says, one thing. Say those two words with me. One thing. He says, one thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. So what, what church is the one thing that David asked for? That he could dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. That's his priority. He's basically saying, God, if I only get to pray one prayer, if I only get to ask you one thing, this is what it's going to be. I want to be able to dwell in your presence in your house all the days of my life. Now, that's his priority. And like we just read, some pretty amazing things happen in the house of the Lord. But before we go any further, I want to talk for just a minute about the house of the Lord. Because if you're like me and you grew up in church, you, you probably grew up with that phrase, house of the Lord. And I thought that meant a building, right? I thought that meant going to a church building. And there are houses of the Lord. We're sitting in one of those things right now. Some people would think of the temple back in the um, Bible times as the house of the Lord. But there's so much more to the house of the Lord than a physical place. Being in the house of the Lord is being in who he is. It's being in his presence. 
It's being in his promises, in his provision, his preferences, his protection, being amongst his people. You're dwelling in the character and the countenance of God. Your spirit, your soul, your body, it's all in with him there. How many of you know that you can be in Walmart and be in the house of the Lord? right? You can be in your house and be in the house of the Lord. You can be at your workplace. You can be at the beach. You can be in the gym. You can be in your shower and be in the house of the Lord. God speaks to me a lot in the shower, and I'm like, oh, I got to write that down, you know, before I forget it. But in the house of the Lord does not mean necessarily sitting here together. Now, this is good. This is good stuff. This is gathering, and, and great things happen here, but this is not all there is to the house of the Lord. David's not asking to go to a physical place and stay there for the rest of his life. He's asking to be in the presence of God. He's basically saying, Lord, can every part of who I am dwell in who you are for the rest of my life? I don't want to miss one day being in your presence. Can you, God, be home for me? And you know what? I believe he's asking that because he's come to the point that he knows the wealth of everything he needs in this moment and going forward is going to be found in him. Now, that right there is a conversation we could just have all night long, right? It's a conversation we could talk about all night long because you can't read this and stop and meditate on it without going, hmm, if I could only ask God for one thing, what would I ask for? Would I ask to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Am I convinced that everything I need right here in this moment and going forward, he has in his house? Now, we're not going to settle into that conversation tonight either, but I do believe the Holy Spirit wants us to kind of hang that thing as a backdrop against what he is going to talk to us about. Because a moment ago, we read in verses 4 through 6 about some of the privileges, David talks about some of the privileges that take place in the house of the Lord. It's no wonder David was having a good day. God had already answered this prayer. He's letting him dwell in the house of the Lord. And so he's there, and so he's experiencing these things. But we don't even have time tonight to uh, talk about all the privileges that are talked about here in verses 4 through 6 of, of what happens in the house of the Lord. But we're going to zoom in on one of them, and it's found in verses 5 and 6. And he talks about what happens in the house of the Lord for the person who dwells there in the day of trouble. Now, how many of us have ever had a day of trouble? <laughs> I've had a day of trouble. I know you've had a day of trouble. Some of us maybe feel like our life is a life of trouble, but that would be a conversation for another time too. But what David says here in these verses about the day of trouble, I want you to know, they have become a repeated conversation for me and the Lord as I spend time with him in his house. So let me read those two parts to you again in verses 5 and 6. It says, for in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. David tells us in these verses that there are two privileges for us in the day of trouble. Two privileges that God will give to us if we have made that one thing our one thing, right? If we've decided the most important thing in my life more than any other thing is that I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord. I'm going to be in his presence. Well, when the day of trouble comes, there's going to be two privileges. So let's talk about the first one. He says, in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. 
in the secret place of his tent, he's going to hide me. Now, that is so good because don't you know that in the day of trouble, we all have a default setting. And do you know what that default setting is? We want to hide. We want to get as far away from that trouble as we can. Now, people hide in all kinds of things. And typically, if we're thinking of people hiding, the first two things that come to mind would probably be things like drugs and alcohol, because we've all seen people hide in drugs and alcohol. Maybe even we have done that ourselves. Maybe even some of us here tonight are hiding in drugs and alcohol even as we're here. It happens. It happens to people we love. It happens to us sometimes. We find ourselves hiding because life gets so troubling. But, you know, I've been around the block long enough to know that it's very easy for us to kind of point the finger at people who get a hiding place in drugs and alcohol, and we don't even recognize that we're doing a lot of hiding ourselves. We might be hiding in things like retail therapy or Netflix binging, right? We might hide in our work. We might hide in busyness. I think today, and I hope no one's going to shoot me here, but I think that people hide in their pets, in their relationships with their pets. My husband and I have talked about this several times. You know, people don't know how to have relationships. Relationships are hard and they're messy. People are ridiculous these days about their pets. They brush their teeth. They put them in pajamas. They, like, buy them clothes and Easter outfits and have birthday parties. and day. I mean, I, I think it's great to have a pet, but, but people don't know how to have relationships with other people. And so a lot of times they just want to have a relationship with a pet because the pet's always going to love them. They don't have to do anything, so they just hide in that relationship. How many of you know you can hide in a tub of Ben and Jerry's ice cream? I've done that many times. Or you can hide in your bed, pull the covers over, and just sleep for days because you don't want to deal with the trouble. We all have hiding places. But the truth is the house of the Lord, actually the Lord, he's such a better hiding places. And the reality is he's not even, it's not even that we're going to hide in him Because what does this say? It says, he will hide us. Totally different than me running, trying to get away from my trouble and find a hiding place. No, it's that he hides me. In Psalm 91, David actually describes what that's like. And he talks about it being like how the Lord hides us under his wings. And it makes me think about exactly what Justin was talking about earlier. And don't you just know that's the Holy Spirit being here amongst us tonight as he brought those words out of his lips. Because we're talking tonight about him hiding us. But it's like when a child, you know, is there in the house and the parents in the house and, and they see that the child is having a day of trouble. What does that parent do? They walk to that child, they pick that child up, and they hide them in their embrace. They whisper words of encouragement and love and assurances because they know that child, and they've been with that child, and they're in the presence of that child all the time, and so they know just how to hide them in, just how to take care of them. The Lord hides us. You know what? Church, I'm 52 years old, and I've been alive for a long time, but deep inside my heart, I am a little girl. And I believe that most people, even if you get older, last year I did some chaplain work in a, in a um, senior living facility right here in Suffolk, and I got to know a lot of older people. They might have been in their 90s, but deep inside, they're still little children. And in the house of the Lord, the Lord would pick them up, and he would hide them, and he would comfort them. I need God to pick me up in the day of trouble. 
I need him to do that like a good, good father and just love on me and whisper in my ear and let me know that he's got me. He hides me. He covers me. And here's the thing. That is a privilege for the people who make the one thing their one thing, who say, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. See, it's very different from when I go and find a hiding place and when God hides me. Let's talk for just a minute about what are some of the things that take place when God hides us. There is a real purity in that hiding, right? Because the Bible tells us that righteousness dwells in the house of the Lord. So anything that's going on in there is going to be righteous. That means it's going to be life-giving. It's going to be right and true and holy and perfect and good. So when God draws us in, it's a positive thing. It's a good thing for us. More often than not, the hiding places that we go and find are not righteous, right? They, they have some elements to them that a lot of times bring on more trouble than the day of trouble might have brought all by itself. Another thing about when God hides us is that there's relationship in that hiding. He's drawing us in so we're not alone. How many times when we go find our own hiding places in the day of trouble, we're all by ourselves. We isolate ourselves and we get into some dark places in those hiding places. And those are not good hiding places. But see, in the house of the Lord, there's a, a relationship that comes when God hides us. And there is a comfort and care that's healing and good for us. Because God knows us better than we know ourselves. He understands our hearts. So he knows just what to whisper into our ear when he draws us in and he covers us in the way that he does. When he hides us, church, we get built up, not torn apart. When he hides us, we get built up. We, we don't get destroyed. I don't know, you know, what your day of trouble looks like. Many of you I don't even know. I've never even met you. But I know this. Every person on the face of this planet, even people this big, have a day of trouble. They come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, don't they? And sometimes they're not just a day of trouble. They turn into a week of trouble or a month of trouble or a year of trouble or a season of trouble or a lifetime of trouble even. And sometimes, if we're just honest, the day of trouble is our own fault. We brought the trouble on ourselves. Sometimes it's not our fault at all. It just got heaped upon us, you know, either by people or the demons of hell themselves, you know. And, and we're just like blindsided by this thing. It's like we're, we're, we're trying to do the right thing and then just trouble gets thrown all over us. A lot of times it's probably a combination of both, but it really doesn't even matter where it comes from because a day of trouble is still a day of trouble and it's troublesome. And we don't want to have to deal with trouble. But see, when we're dwelling in the house of the Lord, there's a nearness between God and us. And so he sees us there. We're close by. And he just draws us in. Now, I asked the Lord as I was meditating on this, the more I thought about it, I said, God, you know, if, if you hiding me is so much better than some of the other hiding places that I tend to find on my own, then, then why do I and so many other people, why do we settle for these other kinds of hiding places? And this is what the Lord impressed upon my heart. He said, it all goes back to the one thing, Sharon, dwelling in the house. Because, see, when you're in the house, then there's this closeness between you and God, and he just reaches over. You know, it's not like, I mean, we do know he's omniscient, so he sees us wherever we're at, all right? But just follow this with me. He just draws us in because we're right there with him. But if we're not dwelling in his house, we're dwelling somewhere. 
And I'm not talking about where your physical address is. I'm talking about where's your heart, where's your spirit, right? It's that same idea of the house of the Lord is not a building. You know, where are you living? Are you in the house of the Lord? If you're not, you're somewhere. So wherever you're at, you're a distance from the house of the Lord. So trouble hits. And as a believer, you might even have the, the, the knowing inside of your heart or the faith to go, oh, I got to get to God because he's the only one that can help me in the day of trouble. So you start making your way there. The only problem is you got distance to cover. And on the way, you see the bar, you see the mall, you see the ice cream shop, whatever it is, your thing. And you turn in there, sometimes even with a prayer in your heart of God, help me. But you settle, I settle for something less than God's best. And I never make it to the house of the Lord. And you know what? Sometimes I might even get stuck in these hiding places. And we just get into these patterns in our lives and we settle. And a lot of times, like we mentioned before, these hiding places bring on a whole nother day of trouble in and of themselves. Tonight, God wants us to know and not just tonight, but for the rest of our life, all the days of our life, he wants us to know he has better for us. There are privileges that come with making that choice of the one thing to dwell in his house. And that first privilege is he hides us. He draws us in. But remember, there's a second privilege for the day of trouble. He says, he will lift me up on a rock, and now my head will be lifted above my enemies around me. See, he not only just wants to hide us, but he wants to lift us up and totally change our view of the day of trouble. You know, in the first few verses of this chapter, we saw David lifted up. And as you read, if you were to read through the whole chapter, which we're not going to do tonight, you find it's God who brought him to that place of, of that heightened, you know, light and confidence. David had every reason to be in the dumps. He was having a life of trouble in this season. But that's not the perspective that we see that he has here. And how is that? It's because the Lord had lifted him up and changed his view. As, as God and I have been talking and just, you know, he's been challenging me for several months now. He's told me again and again, Sharon, when you dwell in my house, your days of trouble can look very, very different. Doesn't mean you're not going to have days of trouble. Don't you remember what Jesus said? In this world, you will have trouble. I mean, that's a promise too, really, okay? So we're going to have the days of trouble. But what God's been showing me is I'll hide you, and then I'll lift your feet on a rock. And we're going to talk about what happens in that privilege of having our feet lifted up on the rock. But I want to just um, veer over here for just a second to talk about this first. I don't think David even really knew the fullness of what he was talking about here. Now, he, he fully experienced it, that, that God had lifted him up, and he's telling about it, he's writing about it, but I don't think he knew this rock yet that he was writing about, because you notice he says, he will lift me up on a rock, and yet the reality is David is prophesying about who? The rock, right? Jesus. Yet, at this time in history, Jesus had not yet been revealed on the earth. But as we read about David's life and you study his life, you find that God allows him to experience some of the beautiful privileges of Jesus long before Jesus is ever given on the earth. Now, that's a message for another day, too. We're not going to jump all the way into it. But I think it, it you know, we, we should give it a few minutes here. 
because it really does speak to us about the goodness of God. See, I just see God's heart being so good that he just could not wait to pour out some of the goodness of Jesus. So when he sees some of his people in the Old Testament, like David, who had such a heart for him, it's almost like in the simplest way I know how to put it, he sneaks some of Jesus in early to them, okay? And that's kind of what he's doing here, I think, for, for David. Under the law, David should not have been able to have this kind of intimacy with God dwelling in his house and getting this heavenly view that, that God gives him as he sets his feet up on a rock. That's why David knew he had to ask for it, right? He tells us, one thing I have already asked of the Lord. And we find that God's granted that because even if you look back in Psalm 23, which probably most of us are familiar with, what does he say there? He says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me and I will what? Dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So even before he wrote Psalm 27, there was this assurance in his heart that he's going to get to be with God. Now, at that time, church, nobody had that kind of assurance. They were all under the old covenant of the law, but David had it. And I do believe that's because he was a worshiper and because God began to pour out on him as he saw him, even as a little boy out there in the field before he even knew what the house of the Lord was, seeking the presence of the Lord by singing worship songs to him and giving his heart over to the Lord. And I think God just couldn't help himself, but he just had to pour out the goodness that just overflows out of his heart. You know what? Psalm 22 comes before Psalm 23. That's no revelation, I'm sure, right? But I, have you ever read Psalm 22? Psalm 22 is such a picture of God using the pen and the life of David to prophesy of Jesus. It is such a picture of Jesus on the cross, and it's coming through David's pen. God was letting David in on some of the secrets of heaven. And David was experiencing these privileges of Jesus before Christ came. He had this assurance that I will dwell in the house of the Lord. He had the privilege of God lifting his feet up on a rock and giving him a different view, even though he didn't even know this rock yet fully that, that he was even talking about. And, and we might say, okay, well, that's a nice little theology, little talk there. Um, but what does that really have to do with me? It has everything to do with us. Don't miss this. David did not know, but we do know, right? David lived under the old covenant. We live under the new covenant. We can have the same assurance David had because we have had Jesus revealed to us. In fact, we can even have a better assurance than David had because it's fully laid out of, of who Christ is. See, we don't have to ask, church. You don't have to decide just one thing to pray to, about to God, okay? You don't have to do that. In fact, God's already answered that prayer before it would ever come off your lips. It's a full-on open door any time for you to go into the house of the Lord and dwell in the house of the Lord. The invitation is open for us. Jesus came. He lived. He died. He resurrected, which threw open the door to the access of God's house all we have to do is decide, is that important enough to me to make that choice, to enter that into the house, to cross that threshold, and decide that's where I want to be for the rest of my life. Jesus is the reason for that. Never has anything to do with God saying, uh, you're having a bad day, you're having a bad life right now, you're not allowed in my house. Never. It's not about whether or not we deserve to be there. It has nothing to do with that. Because of Jesus, the rock, we have access to stand in the house at all times, to live in there. And that's such a good assurance to know. And when we do, 
we start getting to experience the privileges. The privileges like him hiding us and the privilege of him setting our feet upon a rock. So let's talk about that. What happens when he sets our feet upon a rock? We get a different view. We no longer have to look at things like dead on in front of us, this horizontal view, staring trouble in the face. No, now we get a heavenly perspective. We're looking down on the day of trouble just like God is, and it's very different. How many of you have ever been up high looking down upon the earth? Maybe in an airplane you were, maybe in the, as a worship team, that's not the right airplane, later, okay? <laughs> I just realized I'm saying that again. So um, maybe in an airplane, maybe you were up in a hot air balloon even, or maybe you climbed a mountain, whatever it is. However you got up there, have you ever looked down on the ground? And it's very different, right? Than when you're on the ground. Have you ever gotten to fly over your own house or, you know, and you see, wow, didn't realize that's how it's going to look up here. The, the point is that things from up above look very different than they do down on the earth. And see, when God lifts us up, he's giving us a different view of the day of trouble. It's just one of the privileges for those who dwell in the house. Now, these days... There's a whole lot of talk about who are privileged, right? Who are the privileged people? And we're not going to get into that tonight, but we're going to get into the privileges that we have. And one of them is this idea of being lifted up on a rock. So read this with me again because we don't want to miss this. He says, he will lift me up on a rock. And now, what happens when he lifts me up on a rock? And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. Now, why is, why is that important? Oh, it's very, very important because so much of the day of trouble takes place where? In our heads. It takes place in our heads. Our thoughts, our perceptions, the way we view things in our heads creates a whole lot of trouble a lot of times, even on top of the day of trouble itself. And God knows that. And left to ourselves and our own view, the only thing we can do is look at that day of trouble, and that's exactly what it looks like, a day of trouble. But with him, we're in the house. So he sees us, and he lifts us to himself, and he draws us in, and he comforts us, and he hides us. And when he knows we're ready, he'll put his hands, his big old hands underneath our armpits, and he'll just plop our feet up so we can see things differently. He says, stand up on the rock, like get up here and look down on this trouble. And you start looking down on the enemies of fear, and it looks different. You look down on the situation and the chaos and the confusion, and it looks different from up here than when you're way down here. And it makes all the difference. You know what? A lot of times you're down here, and all you see is fear, right? You're just looking at it, and you're just shaking in your shoes in fear. But God lifts you up on a rock, and you're up there, and you're like, God is so powerful. Look what he can do. He's got things under control, things you never would have seen on your own. Then you're down here again, and you're looking at the situation, and all you see is reasons to doubt. In fact, maybe as one day moves to the next and it's still a day of trouble, more news comes, and you're just like, oh, no. And you're just doubting and doubting and doubting. And yet God will lift your feet up on a rock, and he'll start showing you his promises. 
and reminding you of the power that he has to redeem things. And you're looking down on that trouble instead of staring it in the face. When you're down here, you're looking at the trouble and you see worry and you see confusion and you see disappointment and you see this is just stuck forever and all the different things that happen, right? When we're looking at a day of trouble. But up here, you get up here and there's like this whole view, like, you know, when you're up high in an airplane, you can see for, for miles and miles and miles. Well, when you're up here and you're looking at the trouble, you see that trouble against a backdrop of eternity. Down here, that trouble looks this, it, it looks so big, right? But up here, that trouble looks this big. And God begins to show you things, and it totally changes your view. doesn't take the day of trouble away, but shows you what God sees from heaven, and that is a privilege. When David wrote Psalm 27, we believe that he was living on the run from King Saul. I mean, this was the worst time in his life. He had nothing and basically no one that could help him with him. Little provision, if anything, and yet he wasn't dwelling in that trouble. He's dwelling in light and confidence. And no matter what happens, I know that God's got it. Why is that? Because he's up here looking down on the trouble, the same view that God is seeing instead of down here looking at the trouble and shaking in his shoes. He's in the house, and he's experiencing the privileges of God. I know sometimes, church, in my own day of trouble, when God lifts my feet up on the rock, some of what I experience a lot of the time is he gets me up here and he starts showing me my, my life, like in a timeline. Because down there, that day of trouble looks like it's defining my whole life, right? Or it will forever. But up here, I start seeing myself in all my 52 years and God starts showing me and reminding me of his faithfulness. And so I don't know exactly what he showed to David, but I bet he at some point did the same thing for him. And I bet he pointed out to him that day when he was out in the field and his father basically rejected him, didn't even call him in. And God sent Samuel to ask specifically for, are there any more children? And brought him in and had Samuel the prophet anoint him. I bet he reminded him and he showed him of the moment that he sent out his power so that he as a little boy could kill a bear or a lion or then even Goliath, right? Or he would show him the moments where the love that he had had for him, has had for him his whole life, that steadfast love that David writes about over and over and over again in the Psalms. Why do you think he wrote about that? I think it's because God was constantly giving him a view of it. And so he's just amazed at how God's love has flowed over his life. I think even while he was up here, and I believe God does this for us sometimes, he will show us a view into the hearts of other people that are in the middle of the day of trouble with us. I think he began to show him the depravity in Saul's heart. And, and then David had the compassion where many times David could have taken Saul out, but he didn't. I think it's because what happened when he was up here on the rock looking down. God is so faithful when we dwell in the house. He will give us these privileges, and we will be able to see our days of trouble very differently. No wonder David could say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the defense of my life. Who am I going to fear? It's all about perspective. And the only one who can give us that kind of perspective is the one who dwells in the house. And when we choose that one thing to dwell with him, we get that privilege. You know, God has been just ministering this to me over and over again and just even showing me how all throughout Scripture, 
He has taken people's minds who are committed to him, and he's shown them a different view. Like he's gotten them up so that they can see. For instance, Abraham. He's looking at his day of trouble, and, you know, his body's good as dead, the Bible says. His wife's body's good as dead. They have no children. And what does God do? He comes and he gets him and he brings him out and he says, look here with me in the heavens. And he says, look at all these stars up here. And he's like, you know what? You're going to have descendants as numerous as these stars in the sky. I think about Moses and how he was constantly shaking in fear. And God was continually speaking to him and showing him what he was doing. He would say, tomorrow, I've been reading this this month. I've been in the book of Exodus in my Bible time reading and copying some scriptures. And, and, and he says, tomorrow, this is what I'm going to do. Tomorrow, this is what I'm going to do. You know what? I know that Moses' feet were up on the rock. In fact, I read that this week in chapter 33. God said, get up here, right here beside me on the rock. And, you know, the rock of Jesus, Jesus sits beside God in heaven, and, and he said, get up there on the rock. And there again, I saw, I saw this very strong privilege that God gives to us. He also told him in that chapter, and I'm going to hide you. And I just marveled at what God does and the, the way that Scripture links together. I think about Elijah and Elisha. This is one of my favorite stories in Scripture, these two prophets. But Elijah was the stronger, more mature one, more experienced, I guess we should say. And, and they're sitting in this house, and Elijah is calm. He's cool. He's good. Elisha is shaking in his shoes because he's looking out the window at the day of trouble. And it was one because this army is surrounding the house and coming at them. And he runs to Elijah and says, what are we going to do? And Elijah looks up to heaven and he says, God, show him what we see. <laughs> right? Because he was already up here looking down on it. And the Bible says that God opened the eyes of Elisha. And now he not only saw the day of trouble in front of him, he saw from heaven the angel army surrounding the house. And it totally changed the day of trouble. There are so many of these situations all through scripture. We don't have time to go into all of them tonight. But let me just mention one more. And that's when Jesus was hanging on the cross. There were two men on either side of him, each looking at him, right? Looking at the same thing, and they're all in a day of trouble, right? I mean, that would be a day of trouble if you're hanging on a cross. One of them was drawing into the house because they're wanting to be near Jesus and find out about Jesus. The other one is mocking and scorning and wanting to dwell somewhere else. What did Jesus say to the one who wanted to be in the house? He said, today, you will be with me in paradise. In every one of these scenarios, church, there were two kinds of people. And we could tell many more of these kinds of stories through Scripture. People who saw from heaven what God was doing and people who didn't. And the only difference is that one thing, those who were seeking the presence of the Lord. You know, I know in a room this size, there are people here tonight that you walked in the doors and you are in the middle of a day of trouble. God sees you. And he wants to make sure you know that you have an invitation. I can personally share that the Lord has hidden me in, most of, in many of my troubling days. And he's totally lifted me up to see things differently. It's just a part of dwelling in the house. You know, as we're in his presence, the Holy Spirit will lift us up. And he does that in a lot of various ways. Sometimes he will speak to us through his word. And that's the view he gives us. Sometimes it's just a whisper. Sometimes it's a dream he gives us. Sometimes it's an image we see, and it takes on a revelation from the Holy Spirit that we've never seen 
before. It's vast in various ways that he does this. Sometimes it's a conversation with another believer and the Holy Spirit's working through them. God's pretty creative about these views. You know, if he is wise enough to create the physical eye and allow us to see all that we see, don't you think he's creative and wise enough to give us the sight that we need in the middle of the day of trouble? You know, I could tell you so many stories of the ways that God has lifted me up, and I really thought about doing that. But the more I did, I just sensed it. You know what? This isn't the setting for that. I think the setting for those kinds of detailed, personal moments is in life groups. It's in one-on-one conversations with other believers. That's the setting for those things because they're personal. They're detailed. They would take up a lot of time for you to really get what God was showing me. But see, when I'm in the house and you're in the house, you'll have those kinds of stories. And that'll make our fellowship in those life groups really, really rich when we're all dwelling in the house of God together and then meeting together and basically telling family stories when we're together, right, of what God's been doing. So I'm not going to tell you stories tonight, but I do want to mention just a few things of, of some dynamics that happen when God lifts you up. Things that you probably will see in almost every view that he gives you. And one of them is that when he lifts your feet up on this rock and you start looking down, more often than not, you're going to see grace flowing. Grace for yourself and grace for the other people. Because a lot of times in a day of trouble, it doesn't take minutes and we're already bitter and we're already filled with shame. One or the other is sometimes both. But we get up here on the rock and God will show us something, but usually it involves grace Usually it involves love because he's just a God of love. He is love. And so he's going to let us know he loves us. He's going to let us know he loves the other people that are in that day of trouble with you. That you're thinking, how could you love him, God? And he's going to say, I do. And he's going to remind you of that up here. Another thing that's going to happen up there that God is going to show you is his faithfulness. He's going to show you his promises. He's going to show you his goodness. I think there's always going to be an eternal backdrop in the views that he gives us from up above because he works in eternity time. We don't, but he does. I think also we have to mention because of the way verse 6 continues that being in the house of the Lord and when God allows us to experience these privileges will often require sacrifice from us, a sacrifice of faith maybe, because what you see up here is going to look glorious. Even if it's hard, you're going to know that God's presence is over it, His faithfulness, His promises, His working, His redemption. But when you get back down here, it's going to still look exactly the way it did when you were down here last time. So you're going to have to have faith when you get back down here. You're going to have to sacrifice your feelings and begin to speak and believe in what God showed you up there. You're going to have to sacrifice time. It takes time to look. So you're going to have to have time to give to God, to be with him before you come back down. That's a sacrifice. It takes a sacrifice of getting away from the crowd. Because more often than not, when God takes you up here, he doesn't bring the crowd with you. And so when you come back down, the people down below are not going to always agree with you. All kinds of sacrifices, maybe even a sacrifice of control. Because... God will ask things of you up here when he shows you. And then you're going to have to give up control and do things the way he would ask you to do them when you get back down here in the middle of the day of trouble. But what does this tell us, church? I will offer in his tent sacrifices with what? Shouts of joy. So that tells us that even in the midst of that, there will be joy and worship. 
And I can tell you that has happened for me many times over. Just the other day, God so clearly and so profoundly lifted my feet up on the rock. And when I got down off that rock, I had to fall down and worship because I was amazed at how and what he had shown me about a very troubling situation. See, when I make the one thing the most important thing, God gives me the privileges. I do want to speak real quickly to this as well because I know that more often than not, this is probably running through your head. Okay, well, how do I, how do I hide myself in God then and, and how do I get up there on that rock? Go back to the text. It never tells you to hide yourself in God and it never tells you to climb up on the rock. What does it say? He will hide me and he will lift me up. And as I thought about that, the Lord showed me an airplane. And he said, Sharon, when you get in an airplane, you never think about, how am I going to hide myself in here so I don't fall out? <laughs> and you never think about, how am I going to get this big old tube up in the air so that I can get, fly where we're supposed to go? I never think about that. I just get up in the airplane, I climb in, and I do what I do when I get in an airplane, right? I find my seat, I put my stuff up here, I get my seat, I buckle the seatbelt, I put the stuff underneath, I wipe the tray off because it's usually dirty, all that kind of stuff. Do you know those hold the most germs of anything on an airplane, just so you know? All right, so I do all that stuff, and before long, I'm hidden inside there. Somebody closed the door, and I'm up above looking down on the earth. I was just doing what you're supposed to do when you get on the airplane, and those privileges became mine. And in the same way, when I make the choice to dwell in the house and do what you do in the house, being with God, being in his word, talking and doing the things that he loves to do in his house, I'll find myself in the day of trouble and he just does those things because they're privileges for the one who dwells in the house. I'm going to ask us all to stand and I just want to pray some of this word over us tonight. God, I thank you for this body of believers that I get to fellowship with tonight and gather around your word. And God, I just ask that you would make the one thing the one thing for us, that one thing of dwelling in the house, that it would be for us to dwell in your house. That would be the most important thing. And I wanna pray for those, God, who are in a day of trouble tonight. Lord, that they would experience the rich benefits of being in the house. You hiding them, whispering assurances to them. You loving on them as you hide them. You lifting their feet up on a rock and giving them a view to see what you see from heaven, to see that you have not forgotten them, that you love them, that you're with them, that you're faithful to them, that you're redeeming things in ways they can't even imagine, that you'll let them in on the secrets of heaven because you're just that good. It's part of the privilege, Lord. May we not forsake the privileges that you have fully given to us as believers in Jesus, standing upon the rock that you've given us in Christ. God, I thank you that these are privileges. May we each take hold of them. In Jesus' name. Amen.
to do is he loves to isolate us and when we hide our when we come into we dwell and we say you know what I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord no matter what trouble I'm facing God brings relationship and he brings hope and he brings um, solidarity and relationships when we come and we dwell in the house of the Lord 
So I love in this verse, it says, stay with God, take heart, don't quit. So I just wanna say to you tonight, if you're struggling with something, if you're in a day of trouble, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, don't quit. Take heart and don't quit. God is for you. So God, we thank you tonight. God, that when we come and we say, God, this is a day of trouble and I just wanna be hid by you. And, and this is the trouble that I can see and this is how I feel about it. And you know, we can be honest as David was honest with his emotions and where he was at. God, and you never scorn us for the way that we feel about something. God, you never scorn us for feeling hopeless or feeling torn or broken or, or lost. God, you just come and you say, come and hide in me and I'm gonna encourage you and I'm gonna remind you of all the ways that you're, you're chosen and that this season is gonna lead to something good. So God, give us your perspective. God, place us upon a rock, upon the rock, God, so that we can look down and have hope in our situations. God, and place people in our lives that are gonna say to us, you know what, me too. I'm struggling with this too, so we can hope together. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you that you came down so that we know who the rock is and that we can stand upon that rock. We worship you tonight. God, we thank you for your perspective, for your voice. We thank you for the way that sharing just speaks and speaks life and explains the word. It makes us just rethink about how we've read a verse or read a chapter. God, we thank you for your peace, for your understanding, for your hope tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We just want to thank you all for being here tonight. We just want to welcome you to just hug somebody, just greet somebody. You can spend some time. There's going to be coffee out in the lobby. We're not rushing you out of here. Spend time here. Come up to the altar if you need it. Find a leader for prayer if you need it. We've got um, Dean and Sue in the back as well that are willing to pray for you for anything that you could possibly need prayer for. So please take advantage of that if you'd like to. And we'll see you guys next week.